The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Well, someone has said that feedback is the stepping stone to learning. But let's just be honest, how many of you just love getting feedback about yourself? For most of us, honest feedback is often a little bit hard to take. We all have a desire to be seen at our best, don't we? And yet there are moments in life where we're forced to look in the mirror and see ourselves as we really are. And sometimes we wince a little bit when we go through these moments because we hate to hear the hard news, especially when that news is about us. So for instance, how many of you have written an essay that you've worked on and you've submitted it, either in high school or university, and you wait to get it back? What's the first thing you look at? Do you look at the comments first? Or do you look at the mark first? Now, come on, you know we all look at the mark. If it's an A, who cares about the comments, okay? Uh, But if it's a C, uh, we probably know why we got that kind of a mark and we hate to hear somebody call us out. Really tough to read those comments. Or how about when you do one of those personality inventories? You ever done one of those personality inventory? And you're trying to figure out, you know, an honest look at yourself, you know? Um, Pastor Mick has uh, got great people skills and is a great team player. And then in the next line, Pastor Mick is a bit of a perfectionist who can be prone to be impatient and judgmental. And you go, what? Patient and judgmental? I've never been judgmental a day in my life. Of course, I'm kidding myself. But, you know, we tend to be more emotionally attached to the bad news than we are to the good news. And then, of course, there's that highlight of all valuations, the one that we all love, How many people here do an annual or biannual job performance review? Now, come on, okay? How many people have to go through this every so often, okay? Now, Pastor Darren's away, but as soon as he gets back, I have to do like a job performance review. Isn't job performance review day the very best day of your life? You know, don't you mark it on your calendar and put on your best outfit like, bring on job performance review day. Don't you just love getting your boss's honest assessment? Doesn't that just do it for you? Here's the reality. If we're honest, we all have a dark side. None of us, if we're honest, have it all together all the time. We all have areas of weakness that lead to many of our most notorious mistakes. And sometimes, somewhere, we all know what it means to blow it. And maybe some of us even know how to blow it big time. This summer in our playlist series, we've been learning how to manage the everyday issues of life by listening to the lyrics uh, of the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms. We have learned that these songs are primarily directed to God, first and foremost, but they're also directed from our hearts and cover the whole range of human emotion. We've discovered there are songs we can sing and prayers we can pray when life isn't fair, uh, times when we're grateful, Maybe even even when we're furious or angry or when we're searching. Well, Psalm 106 is a song to sing when you've really blown it big time. Now, Psalm 106 is considered one of the covenantal psalms of uh, the Bible. It is a psalm that is all about this covenant relationship between God on the one hand and his people on the other, his chosen people Israel. That covenant is at the very core of the relationship between them. And the covenant works like this. If the people of Israel would simply walk in God's way and follow his direction, 
then God promised that he would bless them in every way as a nation and as individuals. Sounds straightforward? But the other side of the covenant was if the people rejected God's way to follow their own way, then they were going to experience significant and miserable consequences as a result. And so God was laying out before his people a clear choice. Do life God's way or do it your way, your choice. What Psalm 106 does is shows us that God keeps a close track on how we get along. Psalm 106 is a psalm that is steeped in the history of Israel in its very formative years. It looks back and remembers the episode in moments from the story of Israel's journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Now I have to be honest with you, Psalm 106 is hard news. It is tough feedback. There are some songs that are about worshiping, and there are some songs about weeping, and there are some songs about encouraging, but Psalm 106 is a song about truth-telling, and it functions as a kind of performance review on a whole nation. Now the largest part of this psalm, 36 out of 48 verses, is dedicated to this evaluation of how the people of God did in keeping the covenant and staying true to their relationship with God. This is a performance review on their faithfulness to their relationship with him. Now I need to issue a warning here. In this psalm, some of the dirty laundry, some of the most significant dirty laundry about Israel comes out. And as we do a running survey of their performance points, some of the behavior of God's people will strike us as strange and maybe a little bit of historically peculiar. As you look at what it was they actually did, you might be tempted to think, well, who would ever act like that in 2019 in Canada and decide to dismiss the whole psalm as irrelevant? Because we tend to get caught up with the externals. We make our judgments on what we see. But the Bible tells us that God looks deeper. He looks on the heart. And behind every action is an attitude or a disposition. And so you may not recognize the names of all the people this psalm mentions or identify with all the situations that Israel found themselves in, but the attitudes they exhibit are all too familiar to us. It's the same attitudes that got them into trouble that get us into trouble today. So what were the attitudes that led them to act the way they did? What were the heart dispositions that led them to blow it so dramatically? So what we're going to do next, I need you to come on this little exercise with me. I want you to think of this psalm, Psalm 106, has a performance review where the psalmist is the interviewer, the psalmist is the one who is giving the evaluation, and the nation of Israel is the person, the people being evaluated, but I'll just refer to them as Israel for the whole nation. Now, you and I are going to be in the room. We're going to be the third party in the room listening to what takes place in between them as their performance is reviewed. Now, on your outline, I've included uh, a performance review. And uh, maybe you've even seen something like this in your own professional life or something like it. Now, on the left-hand column are all of the standards expected from people who are wholeheartedly devoted to following God. Things like faith in God and gratitude and respect, faithfulness and obedience, commitment, cooperation and loyalty. I think we'd all agree that that's a pretty good definition of a people who are committed to God and committed to following him. In the center is kind of the evaluation, good or bad, and then in this empty column is going to be um, 
where we'll kind of write in the attitudes that sort of resulted in their rating. So do you follow me? As we kind of move through, you can just kind of fill it along as we go along. So um, let's start off the interview. And uh, before we get going, we know it's going to be tough news. Because the very first thing that the psalm says in Psalm 106, verse 6 is, both we and our fathers have sinned and we've committed iniquity and we have done wickedness. So you kind of already sort of see the writing on the wall to some degree. So let the interview begin. It's the psalmist who is speaking. Kind of follow along as the interview unfolds. Well, Israel, welcome to your job performance review. Uh, Listen, uh, I want to talk to you about faith in God. Do you remember the time that God set you free from decades of slavery in Egypt? Do you remember that? Do you remember that when you left Egypt, you didn't leave empty-handed, but with all kinds of treasure that the Egyptians gave you? Do you remember how you reacted, though, when you ran into the very first obstacle at the Red Sea? The very first time something went sideways, in spite of all God had done to deliver you, you, at the very first sign of adversity, wanted to go back to Egypt. You turned your heart back immediately. In fact, if God hadn't made a way through the Red Sea, you would have gone back. And so Israel, when it came to trusting God at the Red Sea, you failed. You can circle fail. And here's the reason. This is how you blew it, Israel. When things got challenging, you refused to believe God's promise and you dismissed all he'd miraculously done in your captivity. Unbelief, unbelief is your problem, Israel. When the going got tough, you chose to ignore God's long history of faithfulness. When it mattered, you acted in unbelief and you panicked. You had more faith in the Egyptians than you had in God at that particular moment. Sorry to kind of get it started off that way, Israel, but let's move on. Let's talk about gratitude. Do you remember how God supernaturally provided for you on the way to the promised land? He dropped bread on you every single day to sustain you on the trip. You didn't have to earn it, you didn't have to make it, you just had to gather it up. But in spite of what God provided for you, it just wasn't good enough, was it? You complained that this food was boring and miserable, you preferred the taste of slavery to the taste of freedom. And when God gave you the meat that you whined for, you didn't show gratitude, no, you just started stuffing your faces instead. Well, Israel, when it came to thankfulness, I'm sorry, you failed. And the reason, your problem here is discontent. You complained about what you didn't have rather than being grateful for what God had provided for you. You caved into your desires and cravings and you forgot where you got the good things in the first place. Okay, Israel, a little tough start. You still with me? Okay, let's talk about respect. Israel, do you remember the time when you allowed Dathan and Abiram to kind of cause an uprising? You remember they were bugged that Moses was getting all the respect and loyalty? He was getting all the love of the people? And Dathan and Abiram thought, well, what makes Moses better than us? We are also leaders. And so they and all of those who they'd won over to their side, they challenged Moses, who was God's clear choices leader. They weren't content to go God's way. They felt that they were missing out. Do you remember that incident? Well, right there, you failed to respect God and his leadership. You didn't respect him. You messed up because of jealousy. Some of you were angry that somebody else was getting something that you felt you deserved. And you know where jealousy goes, don't you? 
It can lead to appalling behavior, depression and backbiting and subversion. Listen, jealousy can even lead to murder. And then there is that business at the mountain Israel where your faithfulness to God was tested. Do you remember that when God brought you out of Egypt, that you stopped at Mount Sinai where God was going to give you guidelines to organize your lives together and to give you an identity as God's people? While Moses was on the mountain talking to God, you got impatient waiting for God's instructions and you decided to make a God of your own. So you created a gold calf and you decided that this was the God that brought you out of Egypt. When you took things into your own hands and made a thing your God, Israel, you failed. And the reason is because you have this inclination towards idolatry. Idolatry is the attitude that is the problem. You're putting something at the center of your life and affections instead of God himself. And when you exchange the glory of God for something you can make for your own satisfaction, then you've basically gotten off track. Listen, Israel, you're looking a little pale. Do you need a little bit of a water break or something? I mean, I know this is hard, but really, I'm trying to help you out here, okay? Let's talk about obedience. Oh, yes. And then there was the moment when you were right on the border of the land God had promised. But because you let fear get the best of you, you refused to enter the land God promised. God promised that he would make a way for you, but you didn't have the stomach to trust him. You could have made the courageous choice, the faith-filled choice, but instead you bailed. How could you fail to go in after all God had done for you? Instead of being faithful, instead of obeying, you rebelled. You absolutely refused to take God's direction and receive his blessing. That's what happens when you don't believe his promises and therefore refuse to follow his lead. That's what happens when you let fear get the best of you. You disobey and go your own way. Well, hang in there, Israel, because we're almost done. Let's talk about commitment. Let's talk about commitment. Do you remember when Balak and the Moabites discovered that they could not take you down militarily? Do you remember that? And so they set out to take you down subversively. They sent their women to sweet talk you and you fell for it. And in no time you forgot God and embraced the worship of the Baal of Peor and you started to adopt pagan practices. Israel, when it came to commitment to God, when it mattered, your head was turned and you failed again. And the reason is because you had an attitude of apostasy, which means you got used to paying lip service to honoring God while you lived every day like he didn't exist. Somebody sometimes has called that today practical atheism. That was you. Well, Israel, just two more items and we're done. Moses provoked, uh, or Moses provided you with excellent leadership in the wilderness. But do you remember that you were on his back all the time? Just picking away, picking away? Your constant complaining and whining finally pushed him over the edge to anger and disobedience before God. And he didn't get a chance to enter the promised land. Now, Moses paid a price for his decision, but his failure is on you, Israel. You provoked Moses, you were bent on having your way no matter what, and you grumbled and complained despite God's goodness to you. God couldn't seem to do anything right. He wouldn't do anything you wanted him to do, and you never let Moses forget it. And then finally, I want to come to the aspect of loyalty. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Do you remember 
how you got friendly with the inhabitants of the promised land. You adopted their customs, the customs of the culture, to the point of murdering your children and marrying into relationships where God was not respected and God was not honored. You just wanted to fit in more than you wanted to be true to God. And so the evaluation is this, Israel, you failed to stray to, uh, true to God even after he had kept his promises to you. And the reason is you compromised. You compromised your dedication to God. You tried to have the best of both worlds, watering down your commitment to God in order to adopt what you liked in the surrounding culture. Well, how did you feel this morning? Has you sat in on this performance review called Psalm 106? On every dimension of wholehearted devotion to God, it's a fail for Israel both individually and collectively. And seriously, based on this review, is this the kind of people who deserve God's approval? Is this the kind of group that God deserves God's blessing in favor? Is this the kind of nation that deserves respect based on the performance that the psalmist has described? There was a man who was talking about his vacation plans with his wife, and um, they were thinking about making a trip to Israel, of all places. And uh, has he thought about it in his head, he could kind of put himself in the picture, and in a moment of reverie and high emotion, the husband blurted out, just think, wouldn't it be great to stand on Mount Sinai and shout out the Ten Commandments? And he could see it in his mind's eye. His wife simply looked over out of the corner of her eye and said, it might be better if you just stayed at home and kept them. And that's the rub, isn't it? Not knowing the right way to live, but actually living the right way. Which leads to the sobering question. Would you and I do well on the psalmist's checklist of faithfulness to God? Are there any of those attitudes that maybe wouldn't give us our best performance rating in our own walk with him? I said earlier that this psalm was about truth-telling. It tells us the truth about Israel's failings, and if we're honest, it tells us the truth about where some of our failures come from. But what is true of Adam and Eve's son Cain in the book of Genesis is also true of us. Sin crouches at all of our doors with a desire to overcome us. But Psalm 106 tells us another truth. It doesn't just tell us the truth about human failing, it tells us the truth about a faithful God. You may be thinking right now that what this psalm reports is just too much bad news to digest in one sitting. And if this is what Psalm 106 is all about, you might be thinking, I'm going to mark this with a red pen and next time I'm going through the psalms, I'm just going to jump over this one. But that would be a mistake because this psalm is not only about a messed up group of human beings, it's also about a loving God who refused to give up on his people regardless of how badly they blew it. And against this backdrop, something amazing emerges. And this is how the writer of Psalm 106 puts it. Many times God delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purpose and they were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, circle the nevertheless. It's yet, if it's in the NIV. Nevertheless, God looked upon their distress when he heard their cry and for their sake he remembered his covenant, and he relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Nevertheless is the word that changes everything in this psalm. It is like opening a window shade in a dark room, allowing the light to cascade in. And in that light, we see what has always been there in the darkness. In the light, we see that God has never left us nor forsaken us. That is true for Israel, and it's true for us. 
He's there because he cares with an unrelenting love for imperfect people. And when God is in the picture, our failures aren't the last word. Not even our biggest blunders are the last word in our lives. Because of God's attitude towards us, our bad attitudes don't have to sink our ship. And so Psalm 106 tells us these three things about God. And if you're following along your outline, this is the first one. Number one, God is forgiving. God is forgiving. When you go over Israel's performance review, it's clear that based on performance, they hardly qualify to be God's chosen people. They hardly qualify to receive his blessing. They did not blow it once. They turned blowing it into an art form. When Moses was called to deliver Israel from Egypt, he asked God in prayer who he should say to the nation sent him. And God said, okay, Moses, this is how I want to be known among the people of Israel. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. God has always made a way for imperfect humanity to find their way back to him. And that's why Jesus came, to demonstrate God's love for us by giving up his life to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might be forgiven and restored to a vital relationship with God. Jesus with God's plan to take sin out of the way. No sin is so ugly that God's mercy cannot cover it. No mistake is so devastating that God cannot redeem it. No selfish choice is so final that God can't find a way to reverse it and somehow work it out for our good. So one of the things that Psalm 106 wants us to remember, in fact, the most important thing Psalm 106 has to say is what it says about God, not what it says about Israel, is that God is forgiving, but he's also fierce. That's the next one. That might surprise you a little bit that I would say that. God said something else in that passage to Moses I want you to notice, and that is those last phrase. God will by no means clear the guilty. What does that mean? Has parents, you and I, appropriately discipline our children for their good? Because we want to train them with the attitudes and habits that will enable them to prosper personally and allow them to be a blessing for others. Isn't that what our heart's desire is as parents? We encourage and reward good behavior, and we discourage bad behavior. Isn't that the way it works? And we're trying to help our children form healthy habits that will allow them to prosper as adults. But we all know that sometimes love must be tough when it comes to dealing with bad behavior. To say God is fierce is to say that he will go to any means to separate sin from us because he knows that sin always pays its wages. It always results in something dying either spiritually or emotionally or physically. The wages that sin pays is death. And God is committed to holding us accountable for our choices and actions. And it's the fierceness of God that provides and protects his people that keeps us from going down roads that just really aren't helpful for us to go down and rescuing us when we do. And so believers can find comfort in his fierceness when we're obedient to what he has to say. Now, as you read through Psalm 106, you will discover words like anger and wrath related to God, full disclosure here. You will discover that because of Israel's failure, lives were lost, children were murdered, destinies were destroyed, and oppression arose. That's kind of the hard part of Psalm 106. Because God just doesn't look the other way when human beings sin. In Psalm 106, we learn that God allows sins to play out sometimes in order to get his people's attention, 
And sometimes he disciplines his people in order to guide them down a path that is life-giving and not life-taking. His love for us and his knowledge of just how devastating sin is in our life refuses to let him be a spectator. His intent is to be involved and to remove sin from us so that we can leave the full and free lives that he intended. And so when sin shows up on our resume, God holds us accountable. So how did God respond to the sin of Israel? Well, according to Psalm 106, God was fierce in holding them accountable. Their actions had consequences. He didn't protect them from those consequences. But it was not God's anger that makes him fierce about sin in our lives. It is his fierce love for us, his good purpose for us, that causes him to be so passionate about taking sin away from us. So God is forgiving, number one. God is fierce. That's what the writer of Psalm 106 tells us. But he tells us one more thing, and that is that God is faithful, if you're following on on your outline. Despite Israel's abysmal behavior, do you notice how God keeps showing up and showing up? He just refuses to give up on Israel, his people. Even when Israel gives up on him, God never gives up on them. And he's faithful to his people, even when his uh, people are not faithful to him, because faithfulness is his very nature. What was true then and is true now is that God is faithful. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. This is what the psalmist celebrates at the very beginning of this psalm. We kind of started unusually today because we started in the middle of the psalm, but let me go back and recover those first few verses beginning in chapter, uh, verse one of, of 106. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare his praise? Blessed are those who observe justice and who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory in your inheritance. In spite of all of the things that the writer of Psalm 106 has related to us about the way human beings sometimes mess up big time, he says, I want you to remember what God is like. He is good, first and foremost. His steadfast love never quits. He is a God of incredible deeds of mercy and grace towards us. He's a fountain of blessing to those who observe justice and do righteousness. He is a God who remembers to show favor and he helps and he saves his people. This is the God to whom Israel had not been faithful. And then here's how the song ends in verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting, and let all the people say, amen, praise the Lord. Now, this is a God, the God who saves and rescues, that is worth celebrating. Which brings me to the big idea of this psalm. Every week when we preach here at Broadway Church, we like to kind of sum up the crux of what the sermon is all about in one short sentence, and this is it. God's unrelenting love for you means, and this is what goes in the blanks, your failures are never final. Your failures are never final. This is what Psalm 106 is really all about. It's not primarily about human failure and the sad plight of a humanity that just can't get it right. No, it's about a forgiving, fierce, and faithful God who simply refuses to abandon us at our worst, even as he calls and empowers us to be our best. Friends, his, his love is relentless. His grace is irresistible. His patience is unbending. His persistence is unyielding. 
His care is unstoppable. His presence is unavoidable. Jesus came to earth to image to us what God is like. He came to save us. He came to die for us and pay the penalty for our sin, to give us the opportunity for a brand new start. He came to forgive us and to restore us. He came to help us understand that even when we can't help ourselves because of our sin, he can help us. He can help and remove the attitudes that cause us sin to show up in our lives in such devastating ways. He came because he knows how we're prone to blow it. And he came because we do blow it so very often. And this gives us hope this morning that even our darkest day, even in our worst moment, when you have blown it beyond repair, that there is a God whose face and heart is turned towards you. It's turned towards you. It's turned towards you. The real question is, will you turn your face towards him, the God who has already turned his face towards you? If you do, you will find love, not condemnation. You will find mercy, not retribution. You will find grace and not judgment. And you might be asking this morning whether you have known uh, Jesus Christ for years or whether you've never ever made a decision to follow Jesus before, what's the secret? How do we go from recognizing where we are to experiencing God's mercy and grace? Well, it all starts with being honest with God, honest with yourself and honest with God and confessing our sin instead of denying it. I love what Frederick Buechner writes. To confess your sins to God is not to tell God anything he doesn't already know. Isn't that funny? Sometimes we don't bring things to God or others because we're afraid that they may find out something about us. Oh, often we find out they already know. God already knows what's going on in your life. So when you confess your sins, you're not telling him anything new. He's not gonna be embarrassed. Uh, or, or, you know, or surprised, he already knows. Confession is not about what's good for God. Confession is about what's good for us. Until you confess those sins, however, they are the abyss between you and God. They are just, make that bridge impossible. The relationship just can't come together. But when you confess your sin, Beekner says, it becomes like the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, let me contextualize it, like the Lion's Gate Bridge and it builds that connection between you and God where relationship can be restored. I don't know where you are this morning. Uh, Maybe you are dealing with small failures and attitudes that need to be adjusted, and the Bible tells us if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But maybe you're here and you have never ever given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never ever put your life in his hands. You didn't know that he loves you as passionate as this uh, passage tells you he does. You've never really thought that you were forgivable because of something that you have done or people you have hurt or uh, destruction that you have caused by a bad decision that you have made. I want you to know that God is here this morning to forgive you. Jesus wants to come into your life to cleanse you from sin. And I wanna give you an opportunity to make that decision to follow Jesus right now. And if you are here and you have never accepted Jesus Christ before, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you pray it with me, if you own it as your own, um, you can move from where you are to a new relationship with God. You can move from whatever that failure is to making a new start and moving in the direction of a new life. Won't you pray with me, everyone? Let's just bow our heads.